concept for ePartrade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for ePartrade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At ePartrade there is no e-commerce, it's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePartrade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePartrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning. I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of ePartrade, the global online platform for the performance and racing industry. Welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from ePartrade, presented to you by ARP. With me this morning is Judy Kin, the co-founder of ePartrade, as well as our wonderful host, Brad Gilly. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. I'm happy because I woke up in North Carolina today, so. Yeah, Judy, uh, uh, going to be there for a few weeks visiting people. Yeah. Before we start, um, you know, Judy, do you want to make a little announcement? Yeah, and it was very sad to watch that video just now that we played. Uh, unfortunately, we lost John Kilroy this past weekend, and we worked with him for 25 years, and he was a PRI magazine editor for all that time. And then when Steve Lewis sold PRI to SEMA, he ran PRI for four years, and he was such a joy. We learned so much through him, Francis, from John and Steve Lewis, and he was thrilled to launch this platform with us for the industry. So um, it's a great loss. And, uh, very and uh, we, we haven't made an announcement yet uh, because we wanted to give uh, Jake uh, Kilroy, who is uh, John's son and a brilliant writer, uh, the opportunity to write a tribute. And so uh, we should be getting a Jake tribute today. And uh, when we have it, we'll make a public and official announcement. But so we'll dedicate this uh, a special webinar to John. And uh, and you uh, Motu very well. We traveled together to Le Mans, where Motu is very much implicated. So 
without saying more, uh, Brad, we're going to, uh, you know, to take over. We're going to bring our panelists. Uh, and I think I'm getting a signal from Reed Keneski, um, our producer. So we should be getting Dave and Joey anytime soon. But Brad, this is going to be a good one for you, right? Brad, can you hear me? Oh. It's going to be a great one for me. You know, I had the opportunity to talk. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you have me? Am I stuck? We hear oh, you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, let me, uh, let me get a better connection, Francis, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Okay, you hear me? Let me. I, okay. So, well, good. Well, I am. I would say I'm excited about this because we get to talk about motorcycles and racing and oil, which is something that I know a lot of people always enjoy uh, chatting about. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there, and there's a lot of uh, information out there, and we're going to dissect it all here today. Very good. And I think we got Joey as well and Dave. Excellent. Very good. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. So, good morning. Brad Gilly, you are in charge and we'll let you take over. All right. Thank you very much, Francis. We appreciate that. Uh, today's theme is discussions on lubricant technologies for power to motorcycle racing applications by Motul. And joining us is Dave Wolman, the Director of Center of Excellence, and Joey Cabrera, the Technical Director from Motul. And uh, gentlemen, how are y'all doing today? It's great to see you again. Oh, we're doing fine. Thank you. Yes. Great. Thanks. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, you know what? Let, let's get started, first of all, just um, with our topic today and what we're going to be talking about. Because when it comes to uh, oil and, and misconceptions and different things like that, um, a lot of people look at oil sometimes and say, hey, it's just fancy new marketing. It's just fancy packaging. You know, I'm going to put some oil in, I'm going to change it, and I'm going to be okay. But um, that's really far from the truth, isn't it, guys? Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, you have the marketing part of it that has to make this bottle look very nice, very good with a lot of information, but also what counts is what's inside the bottle. That's where we come in to talk about the technical product and break it down because it's not all the same. Yeah, it, it is not all the same now now motul is known for its 300v uh, motorsports line of oil so uh, let's talk about you know maybe the difference because we're talking about racing applications but i'm sure we're going to bleed into a lot of different things uh, as we're talking here today and not even just motorcycles and power sports but let's talk about um, what the difference is uh, uh, between the, the automotive product compared to a power sports product okay yeah in general you know you have automotive engines where you know, they're water-cooled. Typically, automotive engines can reach anywhere from, you know, 235 Fahrenheit during operations, which that gets plenty hot. But just think about a motorcycle. It could even get a lot more harder because you got a smaller displacement, right? You have a, an engine that is either older water-cooled or, or, I mean, older water-cooled, but liquid-cooled or water-cooled. So the engine oil that goes into a motorcycle has to be designed to be more robust. It actually takes care of a lot of more components to where the engine oil in an automotive, it only takes care of the engine. But here, it's got to take care of more components like a wedge clutch, the gearbox, the engine internals, you know, camshafts, cam bearings, and so on. Anything on that, Dave? Um, you know, as, as Joey was saying, that uh, with the uh, automotive uh, 300V, uh, we're looking for the most friction reduction that we can get to translate to higher power, more performance. It needs to be balanced. But on a motorcycle, it was just explaining that on, let's say, the 
Asian motorcycles, we have an engine, we have a wet clutch, and we have a gearbox, all in the same sump. And in the automotive division, uh, normal cars, a manual transmission, you have an engine, one compartment, a dry clutch, which is a single, which is empty, a transmission, which if it's a manual gearbox, a 7590, let's say, and a differential. So we actually have four different uh, compartments to get some, uh, to get the car moving. Uh, whereas in a motorcycle, you know, we have a chain drive, but it's all encompassed in one. And that's a primary difference between automotive and motorcycle by, by uh, engineering or by, by reality. But chemistry-wise, they're different uh, in a whole other matter. Yeah, uh, if we could, let's do this. And, and uh, you know, I want to throw this over to you. Uh, first of all, Dave, let's talk about the different types of synthetics, because, again, we hear synthetic, we hear, you know, a lot of people refer to it as dino oil, you know, oil that, uh, that we get from the ground and all of that. But, it, but again, there's more than that. Oh, yes. Uh, if you would describe the different types of synthetics um, uh, that okay. are out there, it's not just one type of synthetic. Uh, there are different right. classes of it. Okay, uh, very good question. Um, what we'll do is how about we jump into a quick technical, uh, let's say, explanation of the different types of base oils. Um, and so you're right, you know, people look at it and they say, oh, gee, base oil. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry, we have an audience now. <laughs> um, so there's five groups of oil. All right, everybody is, uh, you know, like what, what, what? So there's five groups. Group one and two are mineral, dino, dinosaur oil. But if you could picture this, besides group one, group two, we have group three. And group three is, is uh, shall we say in the US, the first type of a synthetic, but it's still made from dinosaur oil. All right, it's still created from a mineral base. Uh, what happens is it goes through another process that, uh, shall we say, cleans it, gets rid of paraffins or paraffin wax. So, you know, candle wax comes from uh, mineral-based products. So then that's group three, which is the first type of synthetic. It's the least expensive. It's going through, uh, shall we say, uh, people would consider it not a true synthetic, blah, blah, blah. But it's an excellent product. And then there's a group four. Everybody's heard of a group four, but it's, they call it polyalpha olefin. Just picture that the same train that brought the warship, that brought group one, group two, group three. Well, we still use dinosaur oil for group four, which is a true synthetic, but it goes to another plant. And as it goes, it, it gets hydrocracked. And then we're talking about a process that's called polyalpha olefin is going to result, which is a group four. So all four of these uh, groups come from mineral-based. They're different processes. Obviously, group four takes a lot more work, and it takes a lot more time, and it takes a lot more heat, and it takes a lot more pressure to create this product. But the last group is group five. There's a group five is called an ester. So you'll probably see on many different bottles, we have an ester for uh, 7100, which is our, our street series is, is uh, an ester base. We choose to use an ester base group five. Well, 
you can have some of these esters created from, from dinosaur oil, some portions of it, but there's really something like uh, 10,000 different types of esters. In other words, your air conditioner in California, for instance, can only be serviced by an, air, uh, by an ester based lubricant because of pressures, temperatures. If you go to an airport, there is no jet in the world that runs on anything but a group five ester. It's you're, you're sucking in minus 36, you're blowing out 750 degrees. It, it's so much, so much, uh, shall we say, so much going on in that jet, yeah. esters are the only thing that can play. So we use group five esters and the 300V, we call it an ester core, but it's actually four different types of synthetics. So we have four different group fives. Uh, and soon, you know, we also have some natural or organic group fives that are, shall we say, sweeter than others. But these five groups of oil, the, the top of the line, the highest, let's say, level of performance is a group five. And that's what an ester is. So when you see a bottle of, I mean, not, we're not the only factory that uses some esters, but when you see the label, maybe we'll discuss reading some labels, you find that you'll see that it'll say blah, 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 synthetic, and then ester. And that word ester isn't my sister. <laughs> that's a group five type of product. And it's actually a reaction between fatty acids and alcohol. So not to get technical, but if you take an aloe vera plant, squish it, that goo inside is a fatty acid. In the 70s, late 80s, we actually had a coconut derivative in our 300 V. It, it, it was a natural product from coconut derivatives. And then as time goes on and you get to like 12 million gallons of coconut oil, <laughs> you have to start looking for other sources because as we grow, uh, technology changes. And that's why we're now up to an ester core, which has multiple synthetics. How'd that do? <laughs> it, it was good. So when it, when it comes to, you know, and, and what we're talking about here, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, motorcycles and power sports right now. But again, you know, if you have a question, you can certainly type it into the chat and we'll answer that for you. But also differences between on-road and off-road racing and, and really how specific we get. I do think there are a lot of people, and especially if, uh, if you get on forum threads and someone talks about oil, then all of a sudden things explode. And, uh, you know, there's hundreds of Internet experts out there that uh, might not quite be experts, but certainly want to share their own experiences as fact. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, the research and development that we have done have taken us to one step further to make a product that's very specific application specific. You know, we have a 300V off-road, we have a 300V road, and for a reason why we have the off-road, for better clutch compatibility, better grip. But, so we had to take it to that next stage. I've had that question asked many times, why two? I break it down to them, letting them know that in motocross, it's a lot different than just riding your motocross bike on a recreational. When you're in competition, you put a lot of stress on that clutch. So we designed a product that would give you the best grip with no slippage whatsoever. So you can engage better because of the types of competition you're doing with that bike, motocross, supercross, arena cross. So I want to pass it over to Dave just so you can explain a little more detail why that was done that way, why we're so specific. Yes, yes. Um, you, hopefully during this, this uh, podcast, uh, we, we kind of 
explain why we are so detailed and we have so many different app specifics. People are like, oh, why can't we just use an oil and pour it in and life is good. But as Joey was just explaining, there are differences in, on, on applications. So if you look, you know, we have a 300V and this is the road race. I don't know if you could see it, but okay. So it has a picture of a road bike and it's, you know, let's say the viscosity of 1040. So unless you're uh, riding at the Isle of Man, normally street bikes aren't airborne and like a motocross bike. So if we think about it, we can have road bikes, very high horsepower, a very high torque. Uh, you know, you get a Hayabusa, it goes 200 miles right off the showroom four. Um, th these bikes are made completely different than a 40 or 30 or whatever horsepower, small single cylinder uh, dirt bike. But what's, what's interesting is that we have, uh, I guess you can see it, this has got 300V, but it's off-road with a picture of motocross bike. So why did we make two different oils that would be closer to the same viscosity is that if you can picture you're riding your dirt bike and you take off on a triple, you know, flying way up in the air, you'll see pros that hit the brakes, the slow the rear wheel down, et cetera. But while you're riding, you know, you're in the air and as you land, unless you're perfect, right? You either knock the wheel forward, you knock the wheel backwards. And, and then as you land, you accelerate to get, you know, power to the ground. Thing is that when you're airborne and you land, especially if you have a quad or you have, you know, an ATV that has two sticky rear tires, as soon as you break that clutch free by landing incorrectly, either not enough throttle or too much throttle, then, then you accelerate like hell. And if we don't increase, let's say, the grip, this is where it starts to chatter and tries to burn. So the friction modification on the road stuff is 18% greater than on the off-road stuff. So technically, the off-road formula will give us 18% better grip on, uh, in the formula because of the application or the style of riding. And it's so different that we made a different product. So we have a road and off-road, 18% better grip and the other characteristics are, are very close. Yeah, and that 18% better grip, it's a lot when you're on the track. You depend on that. So that's a level of performance that goes to the next stage. That's very important when it comes to that type of competition. You know, as we talk about racing and we talk about oil too, um, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, well, if it's good for racing, then it must be better for what I'm riding on the street or better for what I'm doing here or, or vice versa. People might say, hey, you know what? I've been using this forever and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use it in my racing application, whatever it may be. What are some of the differences between racing applications in the Motul oil versus just consumer for meant for on-road use? Yeah, like we, like I said, we talked to many customers. I had that question thrown at me yesterday by a consumer. You know, I'm confused. You have a racing product and then you have a 7100, 300V. What should I be using? The first thing what I tell them, what type of riding are you going to do? Or what do you do on the streets? No, this is a street bike that I just ride canyons periodically, never sees a track, but it is a performance bike. 
Okay, but that's it. I haven't done anything else to it. So that's where I push the 7100 because it's a little longer drain interval. He's, the only way you can see a lot of the 300 V's effect, I'm not saying you're not going to see them right away. It's in the trap. It's when you put it to the nitty gritty. It's when too, you know, like I, we said, something hits the fan. I'm not going to mention that word, but you <laughs> want to have insurance. You want to make sure that you have, you know, that insurance when something does happen, a small pebble hitting the radiator, uh, the fluid leaks out. You see that it's getting high. Your engine saying, "Hey, you know, uh, stop. Something's going on." We've had many testimonials when the 300V has done its job, where they take the engine apart and they go, "Whoa, you know what? I can put the, all the parts back together and we could go racing. I'll just pat, I'll just put a new radiator and we're on our way." But that's the design. There's a big difference between a 7100 or 5100 and our 300V. I'll let Dave explain that more in little detail. Um, so you know, it's interesting. Uh... With the 300V, it's our top of the line, high performance product. It's made to, shall we say, take the most amount of temperature, the most pressures, et cetera. Um, and depending on the motorcycle itself, for instance, you have a Ducati and it's, it's a sport model, right? This, this always is going to be run at a higher level of, of performance and bike guys, they go for it. Um, but if we had to pick between a 300V and a 7100, it also depends on application. So if, for instance, you talk to somebody or, or you ask him his riding and he's like, no, I go to the track once in a while, I'm on the street, we go play, and I change it every three to 5,000 miles. I don't care about the cost. I want the best. So what happens in that case is that the 300V is the best. And what happens, let's say, the application-wise, uh, in that situation, I would remain with the 300V because uh, if you're looking for insurance besides performance, um, as Joey was mentioning, if a rock hits a radiator, thermostat sticks, hose comes off, you just had the bike service, somebody didn't tighten a clamp and the water hose pops off. I mean, stuff happens. The 300V, you know, back in the day, we used to have uh, some maximum heat temperature uh, as, a, as an apparatus that will show when you lose the film. And we had it uh, with 300V1550, somewhere close to 365 degrees before we lost the film or the rings would pass through the film and, and actually touch the cylinder. So we say that's kind of that temperature, which, you know, you drop sleeves into a block at 350 degrees. So you can imagine that if you can get oil temperature that hot, the whole engine is 325 degrees. You got other problems than oil, but the oil is, is made to withstand that. The other thing is that if you're gonna change it in three to 5,000 miles, that's what 300 V is actually, that's its, that's its realm. 5,000 miles between oil changes is fine. But if you look at, we're factory approved by Aprilia. Well, these wonderful people, to bring the cost down of, of service per year, they get some brownie points from the government. <laughs> um, they recommend 15,000 kilometers or one year. This is an Aprilia sport bike. It's monstrous. It's fantastic. No one is going to buy this bike and run 13,000 miles between oil changes. They say that, but it doesn't happen. So 
If you want to run 13,000 miles, you better use our 7,100 uh, engine oil because it is designed with more detergents, more anti-foam, more anti-corrosion, blah, 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 to meet daily heat cycling, hot, cold, choke, hot, cold, choke, traffic, no traffic. The street product is designed, because it has more detergents, like I said, so that we can do this and last that long. If you want to do that type of extended drain intervals, then you have to stay with the street product. If you're going to be religious enough to say, ah, I spent a lot of money, I'm going to change this in 5,000 miles, then 300V is perfect. But if, if like I said, if you want long, terrain, uh, long drain intervals, then stop talking racing. <laughs> and just, just so you know that the, the additive packages are designed, let's say we, we, we sponsor the 24 all the months. You can get 4,300 miles out of a 24 hour race if everything goes smoothly. Hell, that's from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean and probably hitting Puerto Rico. I mean, that's <laughs> a long ways. But if you think about it, it's, it's 24 hours on the oil at full throttle. It's sort of like you go to your copy machine and says, oh, I can do 50 copies a minute. And you put, I want 5,000 copies. Eh, the machine might break. But so, so, so the object is that it, if you're going to use it as a street application and long grain interval, you have to stay with a street line. If you're going to put on the street three to 5,000 miles, and 300V is the ultimate, especially for heat, et cetera. And what does your 5100 come to play? It's a semi-synthetic. Yes, know? yes. So, you know, <laughs> I actually have a BMW uh, R9T, and it requires a semi-synthetic. And I'm like, well, I have all of this Wahoo stuff. And you know, I got lots of friends, and, and they're like, you want to stay in the warranty? You want to do this? You want to do that? Put the semi-synthetic. Okay, fine. So every manufacturer has its own idea, but it, it does get to technical stuff. If, for instance, the, the cylinder material and the ring material aren't so sophisticated, then maybe synthetics won't let the ring seat properly. But that's usually ancient technology. <laughs> Anyways. I hope that answered that question. It, it does, you know, which brings about another question, which I was thinking of, but it's great that you use the R9T as an example, because um, mm -hmm. I have a BMW R1200GS and the difference uh -huh. between mine and yours is, is mine is a liquid cooled bike and yours is oil cooled. Um, what type of considerations do we need to have, whether we're doing a water cooled application, uh, an oil or air cooled application, and, and maybe even variety of compression ratios, like the new Harley Adventure bike is 13 to 1, but you know, we've got some bikes that are much lower than that, or, or the operating RPM range, you know, how fast the engine is turning, what are some things we need to know? Yes, yes it, you know, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it plays a big role, but as time goes on, we really shoot, well, we can go back to way, way in the day. I have, an, I have a KZ Mark II 1000 and a Katana, the 1981, sorry, 82 Katana. And these are both air-cooled. So you've got a picture that we were specialists in, in motorcycles when there was no water-cooled or oil-cooled. And so all of the products are designed to handle a maximum temperature. Hence why we went to an ester base, why we are specialists in synthetics, because everything we dealt with was freaking hot. <laughs> so we had to make it work. And so 
Now we design all the products for maximum temperature because, you know, especially automotive, um, you know, they went from big, big V8s or whatever. And in Europe uh, and the US, they started getting smaller and smaller. And then they put turbochargers and superchargers because they wanted more power out of smaller engines so that fuel economy, et cetera. But uh, anyways, I think- uh, yeah, No, you got it all, yeah. And, you know, usually your bikes that operate uh, engine speeds, you know, significantly are higher than automotive. You know, you got uh, bikes at, at 10,000 RPMs and some even push it to, you know, 20 RPMs, 20,000 RPMs, excuse me. So yeah, we know this stuff. And like Dave was mentioning, the past has actually, come again, right? Because as the engines get smaller, and like you said, yeah, technology has gotten better. Our products have to meet those standards, that criteria to mm. that performance level of what these bikes can put out now. And it's amazing what you can yeah. see what a bike can do. So I, I guess what I should have said is that we shoot, we shoot for the, the highest temperature. And if the bikes or the, what we're putting them in aren't as uh, radical, then the oil, you know, we're not worried at all. But it's when it, we build it for here, uh, for the what if. I mean, racing is uh, an invitation for catastrophe, right? I mean, you're pushing it on the line, right? And if the rider isn't yeah, bumping once in a while, crashing once in a while, you know, they ain't, they ain't playing. So, you know, we, we, we definitely uh, look to shoot for the top and whatever's on the, you know, not as needing. Okay, it's 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 an overkill, but I'd rather be an over. I'd rather be an overkill. Yeah, Dave, but could you say that a lot of that technology still comes with the research and development we do, like MotoGP bikes? You know, I've taken the oil to the teams, you know, and I look at the weight. I don't talk about it because I can't. But very low, low viscosities, and people scratch the, you know, like man, that's a low viscosity for that bike. Well, of course, that R1 that you buy at your local motorcycle has a wet clutch. The R1 that looks like an R1 that Valentino right, uh, Rossi races as a dry clutch product. Wait, 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 that R1, I have a wet clutch. Why does it have a dry clutch? So you go from one type of performance level to one hardcore performance level. So our products get all that research and development from things like that. You know, it comes from there. That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. That's where the foundation starts. And that's why we're very specific on what we do and know mm -hmm. how to do it. So if we... Shall we let's let's toss that into since you related you know, you, you know different type of engines different type of RPM, uh, you know our auto our motorcycle technology and crossover to automotive technology. Um, when you go and you look at very unique cars, you know they have they have gear driven cams. They got twelve cylinders. The Ferrari is buzzing along at pretty high RPM. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon, somewhere in the canyon, somewhere. So, um, technology now is getting closer and closer because automotive is becoming harder and harder and demanding more and more. But they never, you know, so far they haven't mixed all three compartments in one application. But um, it's just to say that uh, as technology is is growing in both automotive and power sports, um, the, the, shall we say, we start to fit much better than our competitors that have low quality stuff because now the engines are demanding outrageous performance. So they, the market's kind of coming towards us instead of us coming towards them. 
right, we have some questions from the chat that I definitely want to get to. Um, this first one that came in early, um, uh, you might also have to explain the question a little bit before getting to the answer for those who might not know, but it says, if the oil had better air release properties, wouldn't that lead to less oil aeration and less oil cavitation, better lubrication and protection? Yes, very good. Somebody asked a very good question. Michael so, Colburn. <laughs> okay, Michael. So we, you know, it's fantastic actually, because we use a very strong, uh, it's kind of a silicon uh, type of additive, uh, which, which we consider anti-foam. Uh, so in the past, you know, one of the things that got me so excited about working with Motul is in 1985, uh, they sent us some samples and we put it on the dyno. And uh, as the question was mentioning, we had this nice head of foam in the site window and we shut down and it was like, oh, this oil isn't really designed for this application. And, uh, it was uh, immediate, like, okay, this is good, this is good, this is good, but we, we must increase the anti-foam characteristics right away. Why? Because as, you're, as, as the question states, first, let's just say, if you can see that, how do you drive your car? Well, you know, you do one of these, maybe some Baja, you know, if you get to Daytona, you're doing one of these things, but if you look at your motorcycle, it's like, how do you ride the motorcycle? Well, you lean it into corners, you know, that big round thing that's on the side of the right side, left side, <laughs> whatever it is. When you do it, like say a nice sweeper, the oil just doesn't fly up. It's going to level out. We have a clutch basket. We have gears. We have shift forks, shift drums. We have all sorts of nasty stuff trying to aerate the oil. So we must get rid of the bubble. And so it kind of like this. Here's the bubble. The additive kind of splits it a little bit so it lets the air out. Why do, why is it so important? It's, it's absolutely, this question is absolutely correct, is that if you have air in the oil, it really aerates. Oil pumps pump oil. Mm -hmm. If you have too much aeration, you lose oil pressure. And the next thing is that air is a great insulator. It's not a great, it's not a great transfer of heat. And so what happens is that you increase your temperature because the air is now being an insulator and you lose oil pressure if you have too much foam. So on a motorcycle, especially very high RPMs, you're doing all this stuff to it while you're riding. Uh, we really uh, have to be quite efficient on anti-foam because of the characteristics. But automotive now, you, I'm sure everybody understands windage trays and then they put a deeper sump and all that stuff is to keep the oil away from spinning parts and, and, and being sloshed around. In, in effort to cut down on the foam and motorcycles, you know, we just don't have that much space underneath the engine <laughs> to, to, to put some kind of a windage tray and, and bigger, you know, uh, sump capacities. So that, that's kind of uh, the guy's question was excellent. Hopefully I explained it. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, another question from the chat. And if you do have a question, please feel free to type it in uh, and we will get to all of them uh, in our allotted time. For the 300V motorsport oils, are there components that might interact with the emission systems? Uh, what would be a good solution for users doing competitions? Oh, well, we were just talking about that. Just talking yeah. about that. Break it down. You know, yeah. we sponsor many teams. So 
I'm going to just use some of our, you know, like one of our uh, teams that very, very sophisticated is a team called Yoshimura R&D. They were Suzuki factory racing for 40 years. You know, um, if, if you go into and look at their, at their, their, their bike, they're actually using five oxygen sensors, not one, or not two, but five. They're individually tuning each cylinder and then they tune a collective. So if we were to not take care, like when this, in other words, if we have too much phosphorus in the, in the, in the formulation, phosphorus is sort of like if you're allergic to, to, to shrimp, and you decide you're going to have a whole plate full of shrimp and you, you're going to die from poison. The catalytic converter and its exotic metals, uh, they don't like, for instance, phosphorus. They, they suck it up and it can screws the whole thing up and it destroys it. So we have to be very careful for what chemistry we're going to use, even in our racing oil, for today's fuel injection systems that need oxygen sensors, et cetera. Um, so the, 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 the question would have been maybe some years ago, we would have been too rich on some additives that would affect it. But now knowing that that's the technology of today, we purposely make sure that the additive package, if it gets by the rings or whatever, but we know we're gonna get by the rings and wherever during racing. Um, so we, we, we obviously must make sure that the additive package doesn't make the fuel system not function. So the answer is yes, we pay very close attention to that. And not a problem, by the way, all of our products, we check for that, except the, the new classic line and vintage lines of which we have oils that are made for uh, pre-70s and we have oils that are pre-80s because they have a high level of ZDDP and the, and the P on the end is phosphorus. So anything over 1200 parts per million on a motorcycle application, racing or not, is not advised on the phosphorus. Phosphorus is an excellent extreme pressure additive. It won't let the cam wear. But a lot of good the cam will be if the fuel system stops working. So it's a balance. Everything we do is a balance and we bring it to the very edge. And, you know, while we're talking about additives, too, uh, and, and I'll use a street application for this, but but really more specifically, we're talking here today about making sure that you're using the right product for your racing application. Um, but for example, the BMW people, um, you know, they might look at the back of a label and see, OK, my 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 owner's manual says I need to have the JASO MA2 and this and that. Well, I can buy the BMW oil and it's going to cost me sixteen, eighteen dollars a quart. Or for $20, I can go to Walmart and get this T6 oil. And great, it's got the same you know, things on the back. But then people say, well, it's got way too much zinc for this and it's going to ruin your catalytic converter and all that. So explain again for people who don't understand why we need to talk about the right additive package and what we need to know about the label, what we need to know about what we're putting into our motorcycle or UTV or quad. Uh, yes, so you, you're talking about a uh, a truck oil that that people start to put into the motorcycle application. So, you know, it's interesting is that um, with our with our automotive line, for instance, we have some we have products that that work well with gasoline and it works well with diesel. Uh, 
but we're talking about a street application, limited performance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when, you, when you want to be more specific, motorcycles are running on gasoline. Gasoline is quite volatile. Gasoline is, uh, you know, you put a match to it, it blows up. Diesel, on the other hand, is fuel oil. I mean, those motion pictures that you see and there's a big gunfight and they shoot <laughs> the tank and the tank explodes. It doesn't happen. Diesel needs very high heat compression to actually ignite. So the additive package to work with gasoline and the additive package to work with a truck, a diesel truck, man, these are completely different. The detergent levels are outrageous for a true diesel oil. Uh, which would be way too much for a performance oil for a gasoline engine. So yeah, it works. It's sort of like we say, okay, you use this, this is the best. And then you'll get, ultimately you'll get Goldwing guys or whatever. I've been using this product for, for 10 years. I have a hundred thousand miles. I said, nowhere did we say that if you don't use a good oil, you blow up, right? What we're saying is that when you go to, take this engine apart, right? With the characteristics of uh, our ester bases, for instance. Uh, the idea that when you take it apart, you re-ring, you do this, you reuse parts, clean them, maybe put some new bearings or bushings or something, but you don't have to change everything. And really inexpensive oils that have not enough uh, of whatever additive package, it's not like it's going to blow up, but when you take it apart, you're going to find all sorts of wear, blah, blah, blah. To use an, a truck oil, it has, the, it has a different TBN. It's, it's usually way high. TBN, total base number, uh, rollates, uh, calcium. 300V is packed. It has something like 2,400 parts per million of calcium, which is uh, an acid type of application. But when, when you use these, like, okay, this diesel oil, we tested out, it came out to 1.9 something something of sulfated ash, right? The, the, the result of combustion and burning, you get ash. The maximum you can have in JSO in, in the rules is 1.2. So you have this, the oil that we tested, this diesel truck oil, was just like, uh, like this far from absolutely not being good, or shall we say it's dirty from the start? I mean, from the start. So of course we don't recommend it because we sell it. We, we have a heavy duty line and we have a street car line that's gas and diesel. We have a motorcycle line, completely different additive package because it's a different app. When's the last time you saw an 18 wheeler and you can hear it going 10,000 RPM? <laughs> if it goes 10,000 RPM, you're gonna see pistons flying out of the, the, out of the, out of the side. So what, how, how do the people, how do they relate a, a 5,000 maximum RPM big truck to a 12,000 RPM spinning motorcycle and think that the oil or the additive package or the chemistry or, or things spinning or anti-foam can be the same.
it's, it's just not it's just not possible yeah and taking into consideration too that a motorcycle has a wet clutch that's very important i'm going to bring a piece over so we could break it down quickly and it's this product here this component uh, here is very important what you spoke you know, about jason so i i don't know if you can see it i guess we can zoom in but this is a clutch pack well this is actually the whole clutch basket yes and these are multiple clutch plates this is a a pressure plate so here uh, okay. what he's talking about is that that JSO MA2 or the JSO rating that this truck oil now might start to print on the back. Um, you know, when you pull the clutch lever in, this is what that pack represents. And this pressure plate and these springs is, uh, it, it kind of looks like this. You pull the plate, this pressure plate goes up, these things rattle around. Then you let the clutch out, it squeezes the pack, it locks it up and this is how it transfers the power from engine to gearbox out. This is what we designed the product for from the start. And when you're talking about this big, well-selling diesel truck oil, this is not what they look for in the beginning of the design of the product. They're looking for making this truck last between oil changes and last 1 million miles. You're not going to have that motorcycle last 1 million miles because it's a completely different setup. If that answers the question, in other words, yeah, it works, but it is completely designed incorrectly. Yeah, no, that, that absolutely does. Um, let's talk about UTV and side-by-sides. Yeah. Automotive or power sports products? What do they need to use? Power sports, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, you know, we make a line of side-by-side -side ATV products. And all of those that are specially labeled, we take into consideration of something we said a, a little while ago is that we have a 300V off-road to handle jumps and to handle friction, et cetera. If you picture a side-by-side -side or a quad, the side-by-sides -side are much bigger, et cetera, different applications. You look at the back, right? It's the same sticky dirt, but they now have two big tires. And so you must, you must work on temperature because you've got all this stuff blocking the engine. You must work on friction modification because we want that 18% better friction. Could you imagine you have the best engine in the world and you're running in the lead and two laps before the end, your clutch fries you lose. So, you know, the object is to design something that makes it, uh, you know, shoot for that application. So uh, I hope that that works. Yeah, here's a great example. You know, we, uh, a few years ago, we won the Dakar with the side-by-side -side for one of the teams. They use the Opel 1560, because there you go to rigorous types of, of racing, hardcore racing. I'm talking, you got dirt, you've got heat, you've got water, you've got mud. you got so many things going on that you may, you gotta be sure that that engine is gonna be well protected for many, many hours and many, many days of using that engine in competition. So yeah, it's very important to use the right product again for what the application is going to do. 
Let's talk about two stroke as well. Um, you know, yesterday we had a great conversation and pre-mix versus post-mix and, and everything else that um, folks that are running two strokes need to know. Um, yes, Joey has some, uh, some uh, interesting products. Got the 802T and uh, we got one for road. So we got an off-road product, 802T and a road 802T. Yeah, and uh, uh, no, no 710. Okay, well, sorry guys, we were just looking for a, uh, an injector premix, but for the two-stroke market, you know, if, I don't know if you can see, but I guess I should have an automatic zoom, but one, one has a road bike. Ooh, okay, what did we drink last night? So you can see one has a road bike and run has a dirt bike. And the question is, well, what the heck? It's a two-stroke oil. Whoa. Why is there differences? Well, again, Motul, you know, we sit down and we go, what does this guy need? Okay, you can't compare a 40 horsepower or 20, whatever it is, two stroke on a dirt bike, single cylinder. Maybe you're gonna see 10,000 RPM. Maybe you'll see 12,000 RPM. Okay, great. Then on a road bike, um, we're going to see something up to 18,000 RPM. So we're, we're talking about completely different type of application. So the road has a bigger molecule. It's better for migration, migration, kind of going through a uh, jet, uh, going through the carb, then, you know, getting into the engine and then separating so it can lubricate and then obviously get burned. Um, so off-road, has a slightly smaller uh, molecule, but it's made to go. Uh, it's made to, to trace. Then we have the 802T uh, road, bigger molecule. We run that down to like 24 to one on the road. And the off-road, you know, we might run it 100 to one because if you're running in a trail and, you're, and you've got a low, you know, you're in the forest, I mean, you just can't open it up in third gear wide open. You're going to end up hitting a tree or something. So we're talking about low RPM and, and, and more, you know, technical riding. We don't need such a rich mixture, right? So we can run the off-road close to 100 to 1 if it's really weak usage. I'm very, you know, we used to sponsor Suzuki uh, factory and uh, Roger DeCoster. I mean, this guy is the hardest working guy in the paddock. My God, it's always in the diner room. Um, but I mean, he, you know, they were doing tests on, on, on uh, motocross bikes down to 24 to one, 32 to one. Although most of our, uh, let's say, uh, motocross teams will run anywhere from, ooh, 40 to 60 to one. So depending on application. Now, interesting is that we have 802T. And if I can go technical wise, 802T is oil and additives, okay? This is a very uh, concentrated premix only. Now we also have a 710 and these are, uh, it's an injector premix oil. It's made for oil tanks for you know, uh, uh, two strokes that have injecting systems. So scooters and, and motorcycles and other bikes that you just fill up the oil tank and it, it delivers. Well, in a nutshell, 
if you can just picture a couple millimeter hole, these, these are the diameters of, of oil tank hoses. So the 710 or the injector premix oil is oil. You see that oil. And then we use white spirits. White spirits is kind of a solvent. I mean, we would use gasoline, but gasoline explodes and not too safe. So can't ship it. So you got, you got white spirits and then we have a PIB. Okay, what's a PIB? Polyisobutane. So if you take a Zippo lighter, you got yellow flame, blue smoke, put your hand over it, you get this black soot. It's a dirty fuel. Uh, if you take a big lighter and light it, you get blue flame, no smoke. And so this PIB additive doesn't do anything for performance. It makes it non-smoke. And if you're in, let's say Barcelona, you know, 10 years back, we used to have 3 million scooters, two strokes. Could you imagine no anti-smoke in 3 million scooters in, in one city? <laughs> you, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. So all of them must run this injector premix oil that has PIBs in it. So big difference between an injector premix and a premix only. Now, for us guys who mix the oil, this can be used at 66 to one recreational use all day long. And everybody's like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. And wait, 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 wait. The 802T I said is oil and a little bit of additives, right? The other one is full of white spirits, PIBs, and then additives. So you have this big chunk of stuff, but means that this bottle, you know, you, it's, it's limited in size. So you have to remove the oil to put this other stuff in it. So if you, you think about it, one shot glass, uh, one ounce of this and one ounce of the 710, there's 20, 30% more oil in it. So the 710 needs to be run at 50 to one. This runs at 66 to one, and you have the same amount of oil reaching the engine, if that makes sense, right? So that's the confusing part of that. Injector premix is, is actually less oil in the bottle, but gets rid of smoke, et cetera. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and, and, and something new learned. Uh, question from the chat. What is the maximum oil pressure and oil temperature the 300V blend will handle for motorsports, drag racing, rally cross, and drifting applications? Well, this guy, he just took a shotgun. <laughs> and I know we're stepping out of motorcycles and power sports, but. No, but it's not cool. No, no, no. Yeah. Question again? Uh, <laughs> range that it can take from all the things mentioned. Just rally, kidding. Just, you know. kidding. just kidding. So, just in case. Um, I haven't found, well, okay. I, as I mentioned before, that we tested some oils at 300. 50 degrees before we panicked. So a lot of times on race bikes, you take some duct, uh, duct tape, some electrical tape, whatever, you, you, just, you just block that red line spot where temperature is concerned because uh, mineral-based, you know, you get to 250, you're, you're panicking. Well, we get 300 V to 250, we're kind of like, yeah, it's hot soap. So we had, we had some flat track guys that we were experimenting with, and the dude got to 320 degrees Fahrenheit. I was like, you know, things are rattling in your engine, like the sleeves got to be moving unless that, that green Loctite's holding it still. <laughs> so so the, the, the app, if you can overheat, well, let me show, let me yeah. show you something. This is a little, 
the little demo I, I, I made up. Can you, can you show them? Absolutely. I don't think they can see it. Um, so this is, uh, we were talking about the advantages of, uh, of synthetic versus mineral. The very first thing that the, the advantage or second advantage and third advantage, let me, let me quickly run through it. The first advantage is that it can handle very, very high temperature. So what you're looking at was done in my oven uh, is, is a mineral oil compared to a synthetic. And this, if you want to take, if you want to deep fry a turkey, <laughs> you want to deep fry a turkey, you fill the deep fryer with peanut oil, because if you filled it with butter, for instance, well, it exploded with carbon, on, it can't handle the temp. So you fill it with a peanut oil because it can handle it. So if you look at that example, the mineral oil at 400 degrees, one hour, it just carbonized, it, it, all of the crud that was in it, all the paraffins just burned and they, they stuck. The other side would be the synthetic or peanut oil, right? So cooked at the same time, cooked at the same temperature, you see the two end results. This is the difference between a synthetic and a mineral-based product, is that when the poop hits the fan, one is going to stay there and work. The other one is going to burn up, carbonize, and everybody seems sludge and ugly mess. So the very first, the answer to the question is, it's somewhere near 3, yeah, 3.30 before I start to go like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> um, and as, as far as pressure, I haven't, you know, no one's ever called to say that it can't handle the pressure. The object is that the oil pressure should remain much more stable with our formula because it has a very high viscosity index. It's something like 180, 186. Very strong shear stability. Yes, yes. So let me show something else. This, the, the key, one of the key things, I don't know if I mentioned when we were talking about the advantages of an ester versus the group one, group two, group three, group four. Remember, we were talking about these different groups. Really quickly, this is a piston. It's a piston right out of Yoshimura Superbike. <laughs> and uh, this went through 1,600 uh, miles of, uh, shall we say, disaster. And you can see it looks brand new. Anyways, while the engine's running, good question by the way. You know, the, the mineral oil is doing its job. It's working just fine. It's lubricating, it's doing its job. Well, motorcycles and some exotic cars, you stop the motor and you let it sit. Well, mineral oils, actually group one, group two, group three, and group four are neutral in their, in their makeup. And so they don't adhere to ferrous metals, right? So after a certain amount of time in the garage, this is why they say the most wear is done during startup. Well, because the oil's gone, right? It fell off of, uh, from gravity. This is an example, another Yoshimura piston, that it does the same. You know, it runs, it's boiling, it's doing its job. You see that the molecules are, are much more stable. They're all about the same size. This is a big difference between a true synthetic and mineral base. Mineral base looks much more out of whack at different sizes, et cetera, as you can see. But look at the advantage. The ester has a positive end chain and ferrous metals have a negative end chain. So what happens is that when you shut it down, the ester is attracted to the rings, the rod, the pin, the, 
you know, the, the bearing, the Babbitt material underneath is iron, so it's attracted. So what happens is that even if you sit in the garage for one year, you might have as little as one thousandth or as even smaller as one one millionth of an inch. And everybody's, well, that's not very much. I said, well, one one millionth of an inch is a whole lot more than zero. Okay, so with an ester base sitting in, you know, wherever engine sitting in there, getting ready to put in your, you know, classic bike is in the garage for a year, blah, blah, blah. You have, you want this ester to leave a film. So when one doesn't corrode, two doesn't rust, three, when you start it and you don't have any oil pressure, you still have a film preventing wear. And this is the advantage of the ester over, over group one, group two, group three, and even group four. So, What's our 5100, 7100, 300V? Yeah. We all have this. Absolutely. All power sports that are very high performance at the Motul range has a form of esters. Maybe not four like the 300V if we're talking about 7100, but, but designed for the application. Okay. Well, I, I, I gosh, I, I hate that actually the clock is uh, is running us out of time right now because I know we can continue talking. I know there are a couple of questions that we didn't get to. Uh, one about uh, best for a Chevy engine or for uh, drag racing and uh, some other applications mixing with methanol. I will say at the Motul website, it's pretty incredible just how comprehensive the information is, number one, but number two, how you can put in your application and what you're doing and, uh, and also get directed to what you need. But um, gentlemen, this has just been incredible. And like I said, I know I could probably talk to you all for a couple of days and and still have questions after we're all said and done uh but this was wonderfully informative and we appreciate it yeah wait, wait, wait till we get to some brake fluids and the different temperatures yeah. and hygroscopic and gear oils ah, we, i guess we can come back a few times if absolutely. you want yes. i would love it absolutely and we'll work a lot of stuff <laughs> we'll work with you on that uh, you know and uh, you have a great team to work with and uh, we put this together thank you Nolan, for organizing it and yes we'll invite you back and you know uh, what you're right brad we could have listened for hours and hours but we keep webinars to one hour uh, this specific webinar has been recorded it will be uh, uh, posted later uh, today on the eportrait platform as well as on our youtube channel oh, excellent also have pushed back on the homepage of ePortrait Motul's product. So go on there, click and connect with them directly. We will be back next week and we're going to be talking oil pumps this time with a Peterson Fluid System. Oh, so, good. you know, go on ePortrait.com, register for next week. And uh, thank you very much for watching. So uh, we'll see you guys in about a week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here.
If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.